Welcome to the Lighthouse Podcast, a resource created by Lighthouse Family Retreat to strengthen families living through childhood cancer. You'll hear stories from families, educational information on childhood cancer, and most importantly, we will be there to encourage your family during your journey. Merry official Christmas week. It is official Christmas. Merry Christmas. Finally. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Yeah. This is a fun, this is a fun season. What's your favorite Christmas movie? Um, okay. So I have several different categories. All right. So, all right, so top two. Just narrow it to the, what are the top two? Well, It's a Wonderful Life is my Christmas Eve thing. I only watch yeah. it once a year, right, but right. it has to be Christmas mm-hmm. Eve. Um, and then I'm a big fan of, I can't, it's the claymation. It's the year without a Santa Claus and root. Like they all lump together. But but um bump clay but, uh, they all love you. <laughs> yeah, see, I, I totally knew what I was doing there. But that is what I grew up with. So you yeah, know, heat miser and all that yeah, stuff. Oh, yeah. That that Mr. is heat miser. Yep. Yeah, the classic. Absolutely. What about you? You don't see that one as often. No, but it you and you didn't growing up either. It would be on like once every uh-huh. other year, and boy, you had to catch it because mm-hmm. you couldn't. You know, I love only the heat three miser channels one. back yeah. then. Because then he had his counterpart brother, yeah. right? That was the, the snow miser. Yeah, the snow miser. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So you knew you know him pretty quick. I right? could but, sing the whole song, uh, but have I have you seen it yet this year? <laughs> I have it recorded. Okay, there you go. <laughs> so I can watch it anytime I want. That's fantastic. Rena and I were just having the conversation the other day, the the, the top three. We were trying to narrow it. And uh, and they're not all like the unique classics for me. You know, there are some new ones in there. Like have I, you seen do Daddy's that. Home Two? Have you no, seen this movie? I don't do oh my new gosh. At Christmas. This is a great no. Christmas movie. No. <laughs> no. It really is. You need to watch this. For anybody that's listening, you haven't seen Daddy's Home 2. It is a great Christmas Was movie. Was there a Daddy's Hilarious. Home 1? There's a Daddy's Home 1. It helps okay. to watch that, just... but it's not a Christmas one. <laughs> okay. But Daddy's Home 2 is awesome. It's in the okay. top three. It's not number one, but it's in the top three. Home Alone's in the top three. Yep. Um, just because that's a fun yep. Christmas movie. I'm waiting for the classic one that I'm about to say. Oh, Christmas Vacations. No, no. No, no. Yeah. At my house last Christmas Eve, we watched Die Hard because yes, Die Hard I live is with four boys. A classic. I, but I was having a conversation with, with Rena. With Rena. So, yeah. yeah. So, it I don't have a girl. Yeah. It doesn't so. fall into the category <laughs> with Rena's. But Christmas Vacation is definitely up there in the top. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when you're talking to the guys, Die Hard is, is yep. in there. And even though people will tell you it's not a Christmas movie, whatever. Yeah. Well, it is. <laughs> you know what's a new one that came out last year that we've really enjoyed? Last Christmas. Have you seen that? No, because you just said it's a new movie. I yeah, don't do you, new you at Christmas. New? It's a, <laughs> no, last I don't. Christmas. It's um. I don't have time. I have the classics. I watch them once a year. It's like year. a British one. It's 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 oh, a British see, now Christmas, you're even Christmas movie. No. No. It was good. It's a good movie. Okay. And plus, Last Christmas by George Michael. It's one of my my favorite Christmas songs. So. Oh, we're now we're moving into songs. Yeah, we're now we're not moving okay. into it. I'm just letting you know that. But yes, Merry Christmas. That's a really Merry long Christmas. intro to Merry Christmas. It is Christmas week. Merry Christmas. I hope all of our Lighthouse families are having fun this season, especially with your Advent calendars that we sent out. But um, you know and we know the truth is that cancer doesn't take Christmas off. And I know this can be a really hard time for families on treatment, especially when you still have to keep taking the pills and going to the appointments, um, and it doesn't matter what the calendar says. So I'm really glad we have this family story in particular to share with you today because I think they just really get it. Um, they've been through it, but they're on the other side, and I think their story is really beautiful. Yeah, I'm really bummed that I missed out on this conversation um, with uh, Randall and, and Annie Patterson. Before we share it with you guys, I do get the pleasure of introducing them a little bit to you. So they live in Dallas, Texas, with their four kids. Uh, Eli, who is eight, they've got a six-year-old Levi. Imogen is five, and then Eve is four years old. Randall is the owner of Mockingbird Builders. They're a luxury home builder. Sounds like I'm doing a commercial. Uh, Luxury home builder. And then Annie also does the administrative work for the business. That's a whole nother podcast that would be great just to talk about how is that working Yeah, how to work together. How is that going? Their son, Eli, was diagnosed uh, just before he turned three years old, Um, but now at eight, he's officially in remission, which is amazing. I know you guys are going to be blessed to hear their story today. It is so good to see you guys this morning. We're going to, I want to start a little bit with something you talked to me about, Randall, when we spoke earlier. You told me what a journey it was for you guys to even get pregnant with Eli in the first place. So can you kind of walk us through that part of the journey? Yes. So whenever Annie and I first got married, I had a couple of small businesses and uh, one of them, uh, I was buying and selling real estate at the time and I had some um, very bad investments and I had to liquidate a couple of properties and we had a substantial amount of debt. So we went through a process of getting on the Dave Ramsey plan. It was 
really a lot of money for me uh, being back in the Midwest, in Missouri, kind of a smaller community. Uh, it seemed very daunting, overwhelming. Uh, we didn't even start trying to have kids um, until, you know, four or five years after we got married. So we kind of had this build up from the time that we got married. We knew that we wanted kids. We knew that we were, wanted a family. We were excited about that. So whenever the time came, we, we started trying and it wasn't working. So uh, we just assumed that it, at least I assumed that it was an issue with my wife, uh, not me. Ah, how'd that go over? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so then we kind of go through the process of kind of evaluating Annie and um, looking for um, the issue and running tests and doing what they do. And uh, everything came back fine. And so I was like, well, that's strange. I mean, <laughs> who else is there? I mean, if it's not something with Annie, what could possibly yes. be going on? Um, so then I started getting tested. And uh, so we found out that the issue was with me. And um, so we had a corrective surgery scheduled. And um, at that time, Annie and I have always been open to the idea of adoption. And so whenever this wasn't working, we were um, we were listening to the Lord, kind of putting it before the Lord, like, Hey, we would love to have our own children, but we also don't want to be forcing the issue. And if this is your way of leading us down the path of adoption, we want to be obedient to that. So, you know, we wanted, so we had the, the surgery uh, scheduled and um, whether we adopted or not, I mean, it was something that we wanted to get fixed. This is no exaggeration. One or two days before uh, my scheduled surgery, Annie says, I'm pregnant. Mm -hmm. So we mm -hmm. felt like that was miraculous in itself. Um, we've been trying and, you know, it wasn't working. I have this this surgery scheduled. And I mean, at this time we're thinking, well, maybe this is not good. Maybe this is not the Lord's will going down the path of adoption. She's pregnant before the surgery. So I'm ecstatic, wanted more than one child. So we went through with the surgery and uh, so we're just kind of trucking along and uh, about eight weeks into the pregnancy, Annie hemorrhaged. So, and it was very severe and, um, you know, we were on the phone with the doctors and they were like, you know, we're sorry, but you know, we're very certain that you miscarried. And, um, so that was kind of a major setback. And so, uh, this was late afternoon on one day. And so we had an appointment the next day for, um, her procedure and she goes in there and protocol is to take a sonogram to verify that there's not a heartbeat and, we go in there and Annie calls me and says, Hey, you need to, you need to come back to the, uh, to the, uh, the doctor's office because there's a heartbeat. Wow. So here struggled to get pregnant, convinced that we lost it the next day. He's still alive. Mm -hmm. So, you know, she goes through the pregnancy and we have our son and, um, and it was just really joyful. Yes. He was the long awaited child. Like, yes. You know, we had hoped, we had prayed for him. We had, mm -hmm. um, we were just ecstatic. We thought that his life, him being here was just this miracle. Um, and it was, mm -hmm. um, but you know, we never expected that, um, that, you know, something else might come along. Right. And that's that long awaited child. Um, you know, our hearts were just so full. We were so thankful to the Lord that, you know, we were to the best of our ability. We were like, God, we give this child to you. You have given us this mm -hmm. gift and we dedicate him. We give him back to you. We dedicate him for your glory, for your service, for the kingdom of God. And, um, so the first couple of years, I mean, we're just trucking right along. I mean, we're just ecstatic. We're so proud of him. He's this beautiful, 
young boy. Um, he was strong and it was, he was just such a wonderful child. And two weeks before he turned three years old, um, we were having some, uh, some issues with vomiting, mouth sores, extreme fatigue. And we went to the hospital or to the pediatrician three different times and they didn't pick up on it. And so finally that third time, uh, you know, they ran some blood work and they called us. Um, they did this about five o'clock in the afternoon. They called us at 11 o'clock, asked us to go to the hospital immediately. Wow. Um, so we get there 11 midnight. Um, and then about between five and six o'clock the following morning, morning, um, they diagnosed him with leukemia. So this is two weeks before he turns three. So you just imagine going through that process and, and having, you know, like our long awaited child, like kind of fighting for him every step of the way. And then at three years old, diagnosed with cancer. And you think, you know, you probably are thinking like, this is your miracle baby. And that, that was the hard part was just getting him here. Like you already did your hard thing. Like nothing else hard is going to happen. And you know, it's never a good sign when you get a call at 11 o'clock from your doctor's office, when you've had blood work at five o'clock that day, what was, did they tell you on that call what they were thinking? Or were they just like, do not pass, go, go straight to the hospital. What were you thinking? What was going through your head during that? So they actually called uh, on my cell phone. And like I said, I mean, this was like 11 o'clock at night. So, uh, I mean, an un unknown number, I'm, you, know, you don't answer at 11 o'clock at night. And so uh, they didn't leave a message. But right after that, I got a text from that same phone number. And the text said, hey, this is Dr. So-and-so. Uh, I got some results back from your son's lab labs today please call me immediately. So, you know, I called him immediately and he didn't say what they thought it was. They just said, Hey, we found an issue with his blood. You need to go to the hospital immediately. Mm -hmm. I don't think either one of us even dreamed that it would be leukemia. So when they told you the next day, this is what they have. What, what was your understanding of what the treatment would be like? What was your understanding of like the prognosis in general? Well, they weren't, uh, because his platelets were so low and they obviously right after diagnosis, the very first thing that they do, um, is kind of put this plan in place where they have to take them into surgery to place the port because that's how they give them their medicine. So, um, they didn't know based on his blood work, um, and his age and all of that stuff, um, they wouldn't guarantee us that he would even make it through the surgery um, of placing the port. So, um, so as Eli was almost three, we had uh, a little one who uh, was just a year younger than him, his brother, uh, Levi, and then we had a seven month old, Imogen, uh, who was actually at the hospital with us. Um, and so Levi actually had to come. We had my mom bring Levi to the hospital. Um, and we kind of had to have a moment where it was sort of before he went in to get his port placed um, of, hey, this, this might be the last time that we get to see him. So, um, so we have some really sweet pictures of Levi, you know, giving him hugs and kisses and um, it was, uh, so, so that was, that was kind of like the first shock of like, you know, I don't think we really heard anything after they told us that of, yeah. of what the treatment was. Um, but then after they placed the port and Eli came out, then it was, um, you know, Hey, you've got about a nine month, um, you know, really intense treatment program that, that Eli has to go through it. it It'll be between nine months and a year long. And, um, and then you're, and then you're going to go into a maintenance phase, um, where it's not as intense, but you know, they just want to make sure all the leukemia cells are gone, blah, blah. So, but it's not as intense. And so we were like, okay, you know, so we're thinking kind of in our heads, this is going to be nine months of really intense right. treatment. 
Um, and then we kind of get to like go back to normal life. Right. Because that's what maintenance is, right? Normal. <laughs> normal. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And um, and nobody ever knows. Like, And the doctor was really clear with us. Like everybody takes treatment differently. Um, but, but, you know, they always kind of present a, a, a nice scenario of like, hey, listen, some kids get to go through this and all they do is come in once a month for treatment and they go home and, you know, that's what their treatment is. And, and so I was like, oh, okay. You know, you kind of cling to that. <laughs> and, um, and Eli's turned out that he spent about five months out of his first year of treatment inpatient. Um, so that was really intense, but we were also sort of like, okay, we've got this first year, like we know it's going to be intense. And, um, and so we went through that and, um, and it was a long nine months, uh, and well, really a long 12 months. <laughs> yeah. Long 12 months. Yeah. And then, uh, and then I thought to myself, okay, like now we're in maintenance and like things are going to return to normal. And, um, and that was not the case for us either. Eli spent a significant amount of time inpatient, even during maintenance, um, in just in and out with fevers and low blood counts, low ANC. And, um, and so really what we kind of thought would be this short chapter in our life, um, really became, um, what we call is like our lifestyle. Um, we kind of became a pediatric cancer lifestyle, um, in our house and it changed, um, really, the childhood for all of our kids. Um, Let's talk about that a little bit. Cause when obviously I'm a fellow leukemia parent, so we all know this really, really long journey really, really well. Um, and I loved how you described it when we talked earlier about how it was a lifestyle, because I think, you know, we have the reputation that our kids had the good kind. I'm doing air quotes. We had the good kind and there are, you know, Leukemia is super curable. There's a lot of things, but the reality is it is a incredibly long treatment, especially for boys. Um, and so when you described it as a lifestyle, the first time we talked, I thought that was so clever because it's really, that is your kid's childhood. Like my son, it was from kindergarten to fourth grade. He was a big kid when he was done. I mean, that's, that's a huge chunk. So can you kind of walk us through what that looks like for somebody that's not, that doesn't walk this walk? Like, what does that mean for your family, for your kids, for your parenting, for everything to have this new lifestyle? I guess you're always aware of, of what your child's blood counts are and how that will affect the whole family. So we, we had our other children in like a preschool program at the time. So um, whenever Eli's counts were low, we had to be very aware of sending our other kids to preschool um, because obviously they're kind of germ cesspools <laughs> and they would always bring something home and then Eli would end up in the hospital. So, um, so a lot of, a lot of the time, our other kids, we actually had to pull out of their preschool and we had to isolate at home um, for at least two weeks out of every month because Eli's blood counts would dive. And, um, and so my kids ended up kind of becoming each other's all in all. Uh, we didn't get to do, do really normal things like even attending church service mm -hmm. uh, because there's just so many germs that you, you can't introduce into your family even through your other kids. So it's not just Eli that ha has to isolate or, or Eli and a parent, it really did become like, okay, Eli's counts are low. So we all have to isolate together. And, um, and they call it isolate for a reason. Um, it's, it's very lonely. And um, I think everyone has sort of experienced that now with COVID, what isolate means and, um, but for a cancer patient, for a pediatric cancer family, that's not a one year 
uh, thing for us, it was three and a half years of, uh, of really kind of being in our house and finding a way through together and, and walking that path. Yeah. So whenever he was first diagnosed, um, you know, our church was incredible. Um, I mean, they rallied around us. Um, we, so some first things that they did, they were like, okay, um, no cooking. Like you don't have to cook for a month. Like it started out like, like two weeks, you know, and then, then it's like, they were like, you know what, we just want to keep doing this. So it turned into a month. So for a, a full month, they created a schedule and they said, if you will just put a cooler out on your front porch, you don't have to talk to anybody. You don't have to see anybody. What we're going to do is we're going to send you a text message. We're going to let you know that food is on the way and that it will be there within a 15 to 30 minute window. And at the end of that window, just go out and get it. And so like once a day, they would drop off freshly cooked or bought meals. Uh, so we didn't have to worry about that for a month. Um, they also said, Hey, look, um, this one family said, we're going to send our house cleaner over. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you don't have to clean your house. Don't even worry about that. Um, so for like that first month, you know, the house was just completely taken care of. And of course, just with, you know, encouragement and support and visitation. I mean, they really, they really rallied around us. Um, it, it was really great. The problem with, or the challenge with cancer is that it is such a long road that, you know, everybody's there on week one, everybody's there week two, and then week three, it starts dropping off a little bit. And then week four, it's dropping off a little bit more. And before you know it, you're, you're trucking along on this journey all by yourself. And I don't, and I'm not criticizing any of those people because they have their own families. They have their own life. They have responsibilities. They have jobs. I mean, they can't, they can't continue to be involved in our life to that extent that they were in those first couple of weeks on an ongoing basis. And so that's where it really began to be, be lonely. Um, it really wasn't even that difficult in month two. You know, it really wasn't that difficult in month three. It was actually okay in month 12. Mm-hmm. But month 16, month 20, 24, 24, 30. 28. <laughs> well, you, I feel like with, you know, you get to a milestone, like a year into treatment and you're like a year into treatment, but then you're like, but there's two. So I have to do that two more times plus a little bit extra. And I feel like that is the thing. It just takes so long to see the light at the end of the tunnel because there's so many years. And again, with kids that are little, you know, days are long, years are short or whatever. I felt like the years maybe weren't so short either with leukemia, but it is super isolating when, and and I, same here, no, no condemnation at all, but realizing like, okay, we're at month 16, 18, 22, and people have kind of forgotten we're even still doing this. You know, I mean, I've, I had a very close family member say once, like, we did a spinal tap, which we did a lot. Um, you're still doing that? I'm like, oh, we have another 18 months of this. Like, we're not, we're not even close to the end. And realizing that people around me that cared about us a ton and were so, so amazing, but they didn't even realize that we were still mentally and physically in the same place we were months ago. We're still doing all of that. We've just gotten better at kind of keeping it quiet and doing it. Like you said, Annie, like we're just a family. I think it defines like... We always describe cancers. We got diagnosed on this date. We, you know, and that whole using the we, because it is, it affects your other kids, especially when you're talking about isolation, which is one of the hardest things for kids to do. Like they're missing out and you can't win either way. Either your kid misses out and the siblings don't. And then the one kid feels awful or everybody misses out and then everybody feels awful. So how did you guys make it through that isolating kind of part of it or, or, do you feel like you're a much closer family because of it? Do the kids have good memories of that time or are they like, Oh my gosh, that was awful. 
Well, it's the only life they've ever known. Um, so we found, uh, so Eli was almost three and then uh, Lev was almost two and then Imogen was seven months. And we found out I was pregnant uh, with our fourth uh, a month after Eli was diagnosed, which was a big surprise. Um, but it's all they ever knew that, I mean, they can't remember life before that. And so for us, our kids are just now starting to experience what real life is. Um, and I know that for the longest time they saw like a, a jumping place, a trampoline place. Um, and it was kind of like the Disneyland, uh, that, that they could never enter, uh, before uh, cancer was over. And then of course, uh, Eli's treatment ended like right before COVID started. And so they still have not got a chance to go to the Jump Street Disneyland here. Um, but, uh, but it really is, it's all they've known. And so um, I will say that the, there was a, almost a depression that I think I went through when, uh, when that first year was over and realizing that it wasn't over. Uh, I remember sitting down with another cancer mom and just crying. Like, I thought that this was going to get better a year in. And, and now I find out that really it's just the same. (laughs) Um, it's more of the same and, and it's more of the same for the next two and a half years. And just Um, it took me a while to kind of accept that, that it wasn't going to be a chapter, a small chapter in our life, that it was, it was going to be kind of this extended season. Um, And so that's really, I I had to come to that place of acceptance and go, okay, this is what our life is. This is what our children are going to experience in um, very early childhood. And um, and that has to be okay. And, and that we have to make it um, something that is normal and something that is beautiful um, for them. Like they will miss out on a lot of things like the jump street, um, but they will also gain something in getting to spend a lot of time together, um, a lot of time with their mom and dad that other kids might not have. And so, um, so we, we had to, after that acceptance of, oh, this is not just a very small chapter. After that, we, we just had to change our mindset and also change our mindset about um, getting to do very normal things uh, as far as um, isolation goes because we thought, oh, okay, this is great. Like our kids will be able to go back to Sunday school and, and get to go back to preschool and experience all of these different things. Um, but really it was still just a lot of isolation. And so we had to just sort of hunker down and, and realize that, our kids, like we were sad for them not getting to experience these other things, but they didn't realize that. And so all we could do was really kind of make, make our home, make our lifestyle um, as, as beautiful for them as we could um, under the circumstances. So do you feel that sometimes milestones are just, um, they're sometimes hard in this journey because they're not what you're thinking they're going to be. Like a milestone is supposed to feel, I don't know, like triumphant or something like a milestone. And I think going in, we've talked about the maintenance, you know, you, you have this idea of maintenance. People bring it up all the time. Like it's going to be different when you get to maintenance. And I had the same kind of had to have a little come to Jesus talk with myself and a nurse helped me with it a little bit a couple months in saying, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And it's actually, I don't feel any different at all. And we're still doing this. And I thought it was, and I've had a couple more of those since then, like going off treatment, you know, the day you go off treatment, the last pills, I thought the next day was going to be really, really, really different. And it's not that it's bad. It's just, I think you have to kind of train your brain a little bit. It's part of the journey. 
it might be there might be differences, but it's not it's not going to be, I think, what we kind of maybe dream of all the time, possibly. Yeah. And and even what we've experienced sort of um, after treatment is done, because now it's been almost two years, Mm -hmm. is that you're always going to be a pediatric cancer family. Um, It's taken me a long time to even just like put, put the syringes away for, for medicine dispensing. And, um, I mean, it's just, it's just now that we're kind of starting to go, Oh, okay. We don't have to check for a fever every day. Um, we don't, we don't have to check Eli's blood counts to see if, if our kids can go on a play date. Um, and, it, it is kind of this thing that marks you forever. Um, even, even two years out, it's, it still marks you. And in a way of, um, like, wow, how do we, where do we go from here now that we're done? Yeah. Sort of how do you, how do you step, step away from that kind of back into a normal life? You mentioned that, you know, your kids, that was the only life they ever knew really. So this might be kind of a hard question because I've thought about it with my own kids and I don't think I have an answer, but because you don't have a, what if it didn't happen to compare it to. So you have these kids that grew up in all different ages throughout this whole thing. How do you, do you see anything in them that you think, oh, this, this is different because of, or this, and a lot of times it's good in my own family. It's really good stuff that I see. And I, again, I don't know what it would have been like if Carter had never had cancer, but I look at things in my boys and traits that they have. And I think I am pretty sure this is because of what they went through and watched their brother go through or went through on their own. Do you see any of that in your kids now, two years out? Yes. Yes, definitely. Uh, so a couple of things that I notice or that we notice, um, a lot in Eli and um, it decreases a little bit with each younger child, but them processing death mm-hmm. and being aware of death mm-hmm. and that our time here on earth is temporal and it's just for a period of time and asking mm-hmm. about heaven, asking about dying and that is, I mean, I still think that that's normal for a, mm-hmm. a five-year-old. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's normal for a six-year-old. And I think that there is a weightiness to them. I think that they have experienced this heaviness, this reality, the reality of heartbreak in life. And that that young age they're not able to process it but they're able to experience it and that experience it does change them um so i i just see i don't know just maybe more of an awareness of the fragileness of life or that life is not guaranteed you know tomorrow is not guaranteed to us um And that's unusual to see that in a child. I mean, you think of a child as being carefree, thinking that life never ends, you know, Mm -hmm. full of joy and happiness. And then you look at your kids and, and see, I can't really describe it other than just like this heaviness. I will say too. So Eli, because he was almost three, we had kind of noticed his personality developing a little bit. And he was kind of this alpha male. <laughs> uh, I mean, just firstborn child, uh, very type A, um, almost, uh, I mean, Levi was just uh, one year behind him. And it was kind of like, he was just so focused on his little, his little life and where he was going and what he was doing is kind of like, like he just was never looking backwards, never looking at, um, anywhere besides where he was going. He just was a determined little fella. And, um, and it was, it was funny. We always used to talk about how he was such a little man and just being so focused and all that stuff. And then, um, and then of course he got cancer and actually just last night at a restaurant, uh, we had a couple come up to us uh, cause our kids were kind of running around 
uh, in a picnic area in the restaurant and they came up to us and they said, Hey, uh, we just want to tell you how kind your kids are, especially your oldest little boy. Uh, because our little girl was playing with them and she kind of tripped and fell and he stopped and turned around and like held out his hand to her and said, Hey, are you okay? Can I help you up? And, and that for us just defines the, the kind of that change in his personality is he used to just be so kind of straightforward, you know, direction. Yes. And now he's, he's always looking around and seeing um, kind of what's happening around him, how other people are faring around him and just showing such compassion um, that, that it's, it's been neat to see that. Yes. He is so compassionate. Um, it's amazing to see him walk the halls of the hospital and, and see kids that are, you know, pulling the IV pole around and, um, yeah, you just see all different types of illnesses there at the hospital and how he engages with them. Um, I mean, one of my favorite memories is, um, you know, this kid not really struggling to walk down the hall of the hospital by himself. And, and Eli just runs up to him and he's like, Hey buddy, I'm Eli. What's your name? Puts his arm around him. And you know, this little boy's just kind of limping down the halls and like Eli is just right beside him side by side. And just the compassion, the, I mean, he just loved that little boy. And it's like, he, he knew what he, he could, ex, he, he could kind of feel like what he was going through and, and wanted to walk beside him. And I, it's just, it is so different compared to where he was pre-diagnosis. That has to make your parent hearts just so happy. I mean, that's, that's something that when I look at everything we went through, I don't regret, or I'm, I'm happy that they've developed. I think that our kids do get kind of, they, like you said it perfectly, they see everything in the hospital. They see so many different things that they would have never been exposed to. And that can be a super big blessing. I mean, he'll have that compassion his whole life. Yes. And we've noticed it too, even with Lev, um, who was only a year and a half when Eli was diagnosed, but, um, because, because of how Eli's body, uh, kind of took to the treatment, he, he got something called Cushing syndrome and he had to learn, relearn to walk twice during the course of his treatment, um, just cause his muscles withered. And, um, and so Levi at 18 months old, um, you know, uh, we have pictures and video of him, um, putting his arm around Eli's waist and kind of shoring him up, helping him to relearn to walk and take those first steps again. And, um, and it's just, and to this day, that's the kind of kid he is. He, he's always there kind of, even though he's got a really competitive little nature, he's, he's always looking out for his team. Um, and, and kind of like looking around and seeing like, okay, Hey, like I'm doing really well here, but you know, how can I come alongside you and help you to kind of come up to where I am, whatever that may be. And we saw that developing in him, uh, throughout this whole process. And I mean, we don't know if that would have been just kind of his natural personality, but we definitely saw, um, in throughout the cancer journey that he really saw his role in our family as a brother, um, kind of like, Hey, I don't struggle with this, but I can, I can come alongside you and help you as you struggle to relearn, to walk. And, um, yeah. And so it was great. Um, you know, Levi at, you know, 18 months old was, like pulling the red wagon down the hallway of with Eli and his pole and, 
you know, just like, buddy, we can do this, you know, and then Eli would get out of the wagon and walk for a few steps. And then when he got tired, Levi would be like, it's okay, well, you know, let's go back and get in and I'll pull you. And um, it was very sweet. Yeah. And, um, but I mean, we've talked about this before that everybody in the family uh, goes through cancer. They may not be the patient, but they go through cancer. And that, um, I think that's really hard for us to reconcile as parents that, you know, your focus is, is really on one child because they it's life and death. So you, you have to be really focused on, um, on them and their struggle and, and kind of be, on watch, on guard every second of the day during the treatment. And it seems like the other kids, it's like, they don't get the, the attention um, that, that the one with cancer gets. And sometimes they can get lost in the shuffle. And that has been, um, it's been beautiful to watch them come alongside and, and not resent, um, not resent Eli, not resent me and Randall. Um, but, but also for us to, to kind of recognize that they have not had a normal childhood. They have not had the attention and, um, all of those things that every child needs. Mm -hmm. And, um, well, it's even to the point that, you know, on random occasions, we've heard uh, Levi said, say, well, I wish I had cancer. Right. And I mean, that just breaks your heart Mm -hmm. because, you know, that's coming from a, a a place of, of feeling less than feeling like he hasn't had the attention, the, um, you know, obviously he doesn't know what he's saying, but you know, they are affected, Mm -hmm. you know, there, there is a limited amount of time of energy and cancer, it will take everything that you have and then some. And, um, you know, I always equate it to like a marathon and that, and, and you're thrust into a marathon that you never even trained for. Yeah. You know, it's like you start the race and, um, like Annie said, like we had our minds kind of set on, you know, those first, that first year, like we can do this, you know? And so we were just kind of trucking along. And I mean, at the end of that first year, I mean, we're getting tired, but, but we're like, we got this, you know, we know that at that. We see the maintenance finish line. Yeah. That finish line. (laughs) And we get there and they're like, Oh no, you're just at mile 10. (laughs) Yeah. There's more finish lines. You just got to keep going here. Here have a, uh, have an energy bar, some water and get back out there. And so, so, how about you guys two years out and you mentioned this a few minutes ago, you know, you're not watching the clock for meds anymore. You're not waiting for blood count results to decide who gets to leave the house and who doesn't. How are things changing? How are you adapting or coming to terms with like, Oh, we're supposed to go and do life now. What does that look like for you guys? Yeah. Well, I think that uh, the first thing for us is, kind of accepting that we are all different now. Um, and I think, I think that was a little bit difficult for, especially Randall and I, I don't, I think the kids were a bit young. This is kind of all they've known, but for Randall and I, uh, kind of just accepting that this whole, this whole process, this whole time, has really changed us as people and giving, giving each other, um, the grace and, um, the ability to sort of accept ourselves, the changes that it has made in our own selves and, and in each other and, and, and just kind of coming to terms with that, like, okay, we're different people now and that's okay. The things that we might want the things that we um, might strive for the things that might satisfy or we find joy in all of those things those some of those things might be different than um, 
than before. Like, for instance, I am not interested really in going to like a big arena for a basketball game or, you know, Disneyland, because now all I see is, you know, cesspool of germs. You know? like, there's no satisfaction in that for me anymore. Um, you know, like uh, going to a, going to a concert, you know, um, and just sort of accepting those things that that's okay. Um, and the space to find like, where do I find joy now? Where, and accepting that it's okay that those those things might be different. Yeah, and I think that you know, going through cancer, it it um, there's a level of brokenness that comes along with that. Mm-hmm. And you know, Annie and I, we have never questioned in our faith. We've never doubted God. We've never doubted the Lord's goodness. We've never doubted his sovereignty, his love for us, his provision. But I think that whenever you face death in the eyes and you go through that experience and, and that level of brokenness, you, whenever you come out on the other side, you're just like, you know, the basketball game just is not that important. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I'm not condemning or I'm not like criticizing any of the parents at their schools, but the pettiness that they're like texting about, I, I don't know, just something that is so <laughs> insignificant. And, you know, and it's like what I think that you you just have a greater appreciation for life, the simplicity of time you know, with your family, uh, moments. And I don't think that you're looking for these external highs, these external, I mean, like we were able to go to the lighthouse retreat and and that was phenomenal. I mean, it really was such a blessing, but we're not looking, we're not like counting down the months to be able to go someplace on spring break, you know, because it's like, we're so miserable here. Yeah. You know, we're not looking for these, these highs in our life, you know? And I think that it has definitely given us a much more eternal perspective mm-hmm. in experiencing how fragile life is and what really matters. And that we've got, you know, hopefully like 70 to 90 years to prepare for eternity. Like this is training ground for eternity, 70 to 90 years compared against the backdrop of forever and ever and ever and ever. We're in training for that. And so how can we best use our time, our days, our moments in preparation for eternity? How do we, how do we train the arrows in our quiver that God has given us? to affect the kingdom so that they are preparing for the forever. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that we've, I think that we're just now, I think that we've, we we had to go through a season of, of grieving, of understanding the deep loss that we've had, um, that our life was not, we didn't get a lot of the same joys of, of normal people, of, these first experiences and seeing the kids do this or that. I mean, a lot of it's gone, you know, Eli didn't get to experience a lot of firsts in his life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so here we are two years out and, um, you know, just kind of really reevaluating the direction of our life, the things that matter, how we want to spend our time. Um, yeah. And I will say, you know, uh, you know, this during cancer, everything stops for yeah. you, for your family, you know, the world keeps going, mm-hmm. but right. everything stops for you. And, um, and that was definitely the case for us. We thought it was going to stop for nine to 12 months. It actually stopped for us for three and a half years. And then the following Monday, COVID hit. So <laughs> oh, even longer. it got for us a lot longer. Um, but 
it's now that kind of COVID is subsiding and, and we've kind of gone through this grieving process. Now we're sort of looking at each other going, okay, what does it look like to dream again? What does it look like to um, not just think about today or the next time Eli's ANC goes to zero um, or kind of the next, um, uh, the next hospitalization, but like, what does next year look like for our family? And that's a question that we just now are thinking about, you know, like we're thinking, okay, you know, even with the family, with Randall's business, you know, okay, what, what does it look like with, you know, the business, where do we invest our time? Where do we, where do we learn and grow from here? Um, and that is um, two years out. That's just where we are. Even things like for our, for our kids, what kind of things are you guys interested in doing? Oh, you want to go to karate class or, oh, you want to check out ballet. Like those are things you can do now. Like they can dream, they can experience um, things that just were not even on the table before, um, you know, uh, things like little league or, um, maybe that bounce, maybe that jumpy place someday, the parachute jumpy place. I mean, I don't wish that on you guys, but, but you know, you're going to have to go there someday. I, I feel like if we just all acknowledge that off treatment is part of the journey, we'd all be a lot calmer. It really, and it's, I love that you're allowing yourselves the time and the space to just be like, yeah, we're going to take time to think because it doesn't end the day you take your last chemo pills or you, you know, it doesn't end the day you put the syringes away either after months and months and months. It's, it's, it took a process to get in it and it's going to take a process to get out of it. And I just, I think we just don't maybe use the right words to describe like the off treatment. It's a, to me, it's this whole separate journey. Um, and it's okay to give grace and just be like, yeah, I'm still, I'm, and, and it's okay that we're not the same people before either. I feel like Randall, you described it so well. Like when you're on treatment, having an ordinary day is all you hope for, right? Like you just want to, or not normal, cause you're not going to get that, but ordinary. And so that kind of carries you on. Like you don't need all this other stuff. Cause you just want the beautiful, ordinary day. And when you get those with your kids, that's, and I think that is the gift that we've been given. If you're gonna, if you're gonna look for the gift parts, I think that's it. Is that we just look at their childhoods and their lives a little bit differently, and um, and I love that. And I just, I'm so grateful for you guys. It's always fun for me to talk to um, other leukemia parents that have gone through the long, long treatment. And I, I love how you describe the lifestyle and that you really give a really good picture of what it's like to go through all those years. And I hope your kids get to go to that jumpy place someday. Bless. I'm so glad my kids are too old and I'd never have to do that again <laughs> in my whole life. But thanks for taking the time um, to talk with us and to share your story. And we really appreciate you guys. Yeah, thank you. Well, Christy, they really sounded like an amazing couple. It's just so encouraging to hear how their kids are growing into such incredible kids and people too. I know. I feel like their story is just super encouraging, especially to people in the middle of like the long, long haul that is leukemia. Um, I'm really glad they could be with us and right before Christmas. Yeah. We hope you guys have a wonderful Christmas just celebrating with your family, your friends from all of us here at Lighthouse Family Retreat. Uh, we just want to wish you a very Merry Christmas. 